All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You might want to sit down for this. This is the new Star Spangled Banner. Let's go. Team Star Spangled Banger, my AKA. Red, white, and blue is the flag I wave. What's going on, my friend Raymond Lott? How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm glad to see a lot of change going on in this country. I'm glad to see a lot of awareness happening, and I'm just happy to be on the phone with you right now. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Oh, you got it, man. You know, we'll start right there by just saying I am surprised to hear the word happy being used because it has been such a tumultuous week and then the couple weeks now since we've seen things that ignited a kind of a race revolution in our country or at least a race reawakening and yeah that's why i'm really glad that uh you know we can be on the phone together and we can talk because if it's one thing i learned about you from our last interview where we talked about ninja punch music we talked about the marine rapper we talked about star spangled banner which we're going to all get into uh during this interview um I knew my I I knew you were the kind of black American man and fellow veteran of mine that I could ask anything to. And for so sure. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that for this interview and ask some <laughs> ask some kind of raw questions the way two friends can and just kind of BS about it. But uh first, uh as mentioned, George Floyd's murder caught on video ignited our nation's anger and emotions over racial injustice. I wanna know from you, how are you feeling about it now? I'm happy that the awareness is happening. Uh, but I'm not blind to the emotions that my community is feeling and that I'm feeling as a black man. Like I still, I, I may, I may say I'm happy that awareness is happening, but that doesn't change the reality of me going into a store and the store owner thinks I'm going to steal something because I'm wearing a hood. That doesn't change the reality of somebody that isn't familiar with black people, like moving to the other side of the road because they think I may rob them or or they've heard things or they have this stereotype or stigma that black people may do this or that or they're criminals or whatever stereotype that has been put out there negatively. It doesn't change that. So I still feel strongly about the murder of George Floyd, that it was like wrong, especially coming from a military standpoint, knowing ROE's rules of engagement and uh, EOF's uh, escalation of force. I feel like he was detained improperly and he was arrested improperly um but i i'm I'm hopeful and i am looking forward 
to the future that everybody is seeing now and they're seeing like, oh, we don't have to be prejudiced. We don't have to be racist. We don't have to, you know, stereotype. Everybody is the same and let's come together and let's have some unity and one accord. So that's how I'm feeling right now. I don't, I don't really have much anger because it's kind of like something I live every day. I live this life of being a black man every day. I get discriminated against every day. I get people looking at me. I get the sideways slick halfway condescending comments every single day. Like it's not different. It's not different for me at all. It's just now everybody knows about it. And let's go there for a second. I read an incredibly powerful op-ed by basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he spoke of racism in America at the current state like dust in the air. You know, you don't always see it, but when the sunlight hits it, it illuminates it, and then you can see how many little specks of dust are floating around, how many little instances of racism are basically in your daily life. And you touched on a couple there, the way you feel when you go into a store, the way you have felt. Um, Tell me as a white guy, have I missed this this entire time? Have I missed the fact that there are everyday situations that have made you feel uncomfortable and they all emanate from people just misunderstanding and being, if not intentionally racist, can I say accidentally racist? I wouldn't say accidental racism. That's not right because I have have great, you know, white friends just like you. But what I would say is I feel like people have been blind to the racism. So there's a lot of people um, like you that don't look like me necessarily, like you grew up white and, and you didn't do anything wrong. You did what you're supposed to do. You went to school. You got a good job and you, you serve your country. You, you get out. You mind your own business. But – because it's not your reality as a white man, you may not see my reality as a black man, you see. So it's not your fault per se, but it is something that all Americans should know about specifically because a black issue in America is an American issue. So there's no accidental racism, but there are blind situations. So you could be blind to a situation like you don't know how much my heart starts beating when a cop pulls me over because I know the past of some cops, some bad cops that pulled over black people and killed them. Yeah. So you, you may, you may be like, Oh, he's just pulling me over to, to make sure my, my papers are straight and I wasn't speeding. And so you're calm. You don't have any palpitations of your heart. I have a palpitation in my heart, even though my papers are up to date, even though the car is mine, even though I have the pink slip, the cop pulling me over, may say, hey, where'd you get this car? Like a slick racist comment, like I couldn't afford that car. You see what I'm saying? Like things like that would happen. Well said, brother. I mean, that's, man, that's that's why we're having this conversation because it breaks my heart to think that like that's a conversation and you're not the first black guy to tell me that, but it breaks my heart that yeah. that's a conversation that is had in a black American household. Uh, let's talk about what most people do after this. We have a, we have a huge blow up. And there was a huge movement for Black Lives Matter. And then it moves into all lives matter. And then everyone's like, well, blue lives matter too. Well, then it's like unicorn lives matter. Well, what about, you know, squirrel lives? And everybody starts saying that every life matters. What are we not getting? What are people not getting when they come back with from when they come back to Black Lives Matter with every life matters? What are they missing? They're missing the root message. Because it's been convoluted with politics, racial ambiguity, 
just racist sentiments, they're missing the root message. The root message is that black lives matter. Like, you know, me and you, we know how it is being military. If one of our buddies goes down and his name's Smith and another buddy is fine, and, and we're like, hey, Smith, lives matter right now. We need to fix Smith right now. He has a bullet wound. We don't go, well, well, all troops matter. We don't do that. We right. fix Smith. Right. We fix Smith right away, and then we, then we can move forward and be like, okay, cool. All troops matter at that point. But it's just like triage. It's like I don't know why people don't get it. It's like we have to keep on making all these examples that are relevant to each different group so they understand if we're saying that America has a problem with this, we fix that issue, then we move on to the rest of the American issues. We don't just water it down. So I feel that when people try to water down the message of, I'm saying my black life matters with all lives matter, I just feel like it's insensitive. It's continuing that be blind narrative. It's continuing that uh, devaluing of the black community, the black culture, the black person. Um, And that's why there's anger. That's why there's rioting. That's why there's looting and rioting and all that specifically because people are angry. I don't agree with it, but that's happening because we are getting swept underneath the rug as a black community again when you say all lives matter as a response to black lives matter. Mm, So true. And I love you pointing out that analogy that's so easy to understand. Black people are Smitty. And right now we have to heal that wound before we get into how much you love everybody and squirrels <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> right gotta fix the damn problem all right let's talk about fixing the problem um obviously in the compartment of law enforcement we need to get into cleaner ranks and we've even seen this to some degree with our military that we served in you know there were there were guys that were doing wrong and when it comes time, you know, we saw that with the get with the Navy SEAL Gallagher trial. Um, yeah. not, not saying he was wrong at all. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know. But there are different interpretations of how you behave under the rules of engagement. And anybody that sees somebody else step out of line is responsible to report that. But yet in law enforcement, we've seen so many times, and these videos are just, you know, gut-wrenching evidence that there are people out there doing the wrong thing. So when it comes to the compartment of law enforcement, what is, what is a necessary change? And share with me kind of what you think could be done or how they could handle weeding out the bad and keeping the good, which there is a lot of good. Let's face it. There's a lot of guys out there ready to save your life that are cops, but there are, you know, how do you, how do you fix the compartment to clean it? You fix it from the inside out. And what I mean by that is I've seen a huge surge of fellow police officers call out the bad ones and because they would know best, just right. like military. We would know best. You can't, you can't have a civilian telling, telling somebody what to do with the military force if they're not in it. So since I am not police, I feel like the police need to – be policed by the top individuals and they need to clear out that whole thing. They need to, they need to call out the bad ones. They need to cut those bad ones off. Just how they talk about bad apples and stuff. If there's a bad apple on the tree, you need to cut that bad apple off that tree 
Because if that bad apple isn't off that tree, that is a tree with bad apples. That's not, that's not a, still a good tree. That's a tree with bad apples. So what I feel that needs to happen is it needs to have a whole cleaning out from the inside out from police subject matter experts. That's not me because I'm not a police officer, but from the outside looking in as a black man who has dealt with a lot of uh, police discrimination. I've actually, to be honest, I've actually been helped more than hurt by cops, but I've had some situations that were very racist that I've luckily had white friends in the car to stand up for me and, mm. and say that things were wrong. But the point is it needs to be cleaned out from the inside out, and those individuals need to stand up. And they need to be strong, and they need to say, hey, this isn't what the police force is here for, and it needs to be a new, just a, just a clean slate. Because, unfortunately, a lot of the police forces were set up to track down slaves. In the, did you know about that? Yeah, you know, you know about- yeah, you know what? I'd read that online, and I didn't even want to uh, read too far into it because I just felt yeah. like you know that's information that unfortunately is drawn from pages of the past that I can't change. Exactly. And any any time I read stuff like that, it just kind of basically unsettles me, and I know there's nothing I can do about it. Whereas what I love about this conversation is I am learning things that are informative that I believe are the roots of something that can be done versus the ugly shades of our past. So um, let's talk a little bit more about that now. Um, Yeah. You talk about cleaning it from the inside. Um, I agree with you that even in the military, you know, there were those that said, Hey, uh, this person's doing something wrong. We need to check it because that could affect our whole, that could affect our whole division. That could affect our whole platoon. Law enforcement goes on deployments, if you will. They, they are in hot zones doing law enforcement activities where sometimes there's a lot of negative stuff going down, right? Cops getting shot at, just the tough stuff, right? Yeah. And when we see one of our fellow veterans or one of our fellow military members, rather, start to experience some effects of, of violence or, you know, they get the itchy trigger finger or they're on their third or fourth deployment uh, they lived through Sadr City, they lived through Ma- Ramadi, they lived through Fallujah, and then they get sent to Afghanistan. And yeah. there's oftentimes, and you see it especially in the special ops community, right? You know, those guys are kicking doors, those guys are seeing the brutal, tough, ugly part of war face-to-face every time they deploy. And some of them are on their fifth and sixth deployments. Yeah. And we say, as guys that have served, whoa, man, you might need to just, hey, buddy, Take some shore duty for a while. Give him a desk job. Let him let him just have, you know, recoup his life. Let him get his head checked. Let him get his head together. Should we be doing the same thing for cops on the beat in some of the most violent parts of our nation? Yeah, I, I really feel that we do need to give some of these cops some R&R in between the domestic deployments and different operations and missions, specifically because I feel like it's a more intense more frequent, more constant version of a military deployment uh, because they have to deal with the stressors and different communities and different cultures. And they do feel like they want to help. And some of them feel like part of helping is protecting the community, but also taking out bad guys. And sometimes that line can be blurred um, when, when you're on missions, like who is the bad guy? Who is the community? 
right. who is helping, who is hurting. So I feel like when you start to get that blindness and your your eyes start to blur those lines between the community and the culprit, I feel like those individuals need to have some type of R&R, rest and relaxation, some type of re-cultural education, like, hey, we are here for this, this is what we're doing, and now let me put you back in. So it should it should start with they're doing some missions for a certain cycle. Then after that point, they should have some R&R, and then they should have like a soft reintroduction to the community again. Hey, we're here to protect and serve. These are the bad guys. This is what we're looking for. Don't profile unless you see A, B, and C, i.e., you know, with the right. escalation of force and rules of engagement. So I feel like these individuals actually should have some R&R in between their missions. And that could be as simple as rotating from, you know, the conflict zone to, hey, man, are you going to go talk to elementary schools and uh, high schools for the next six months, man? We're going to put you on the PR team for a little while, let you sit a couple plays out so you keep your head right. Let me ask That's you some- a great idea. That's a great idea. Let me, let me just caveat with that. That's a great idea. I think that in between missions, those same cops that are policing and protecting and serving that community – they should go speak in the schools. That way they would have more value for the life of the black communities or the minorities or the underserved populations because they would see those kids from kindergarten all the way up, and they would see that value of life. So they would get both sides of it. So they would see that young black boy, and then they would see that grown black man, and they'd be like, oh, wow, that was a young black boy who had bright dreams and bright eyes how could i treat this individual lesser than he's just a young black dreaming boy that i pulled over because of this or a stoplight or whatever now let's talk about another side of that and this is something i was just riffing on this weekend with a buddy of mine and i know like in small town redneck rural america you know, there's a guy out there that's on his high school football team and he finishes and, and, you know, he doesn't join the military or something, but he's wondering what to do with his life and his job. And he sees, you know, hey, maybe a community college, I'll take a couple criminal justice classes. And a buddy of his says, hey, man, maybe you can get on the force here. And three years go by. And the next thing you know, he's, you know, 20, 21 years old and he's on his local sheriff department. Yeah. And you see that pattern you know, kind of small town, country song, America, you know, that seems to play out a lot. And what I got to wondering is, I know the experiences with cops are just so negative from the get-go for a young black man that it probably doesn't look like a great job. But at the other side of the coin says to me, why don't more community leaders, why don't more uncles and dads and moms and family members and church leaders tell their young men and women, if you really want to affect change in this neighborhood on the way law enforcement behaves, then you have to become law enforcement. Why doesn't that happen? I feel that it's because there's a, a very broken cultural connection between the black community and America, because it's kind of like, America has oppressed black people. I mean, we just got out of segregation. It's not too long ago, you know, black people. Like, the Marine Corps didn't even allow uh, black troops to be in until the 1940s. You know that? 
so that was going on. Mm. So there has been things like that going on, and there's been like a broken cultural heritage between the black community and America so much so that it's like you're a traitor if you join the military. You're a traitor if you join the police force. You're a traitor to your own race, to to some circles in the black community. So it's, it's a hard thing. It's like, hey, we had a black president. We had President Obama, but yet he still was talked down upon. He had no scandal. Nothing happened while he was in office that was major. But yes, yet still he's talked down upon about everything that he's done. So it's like, yo, what's going on? So in the black community, we feel that it's it's a hard it's a hard pill to swallow to like just join the police force and be like everything's going to be okay because of the culture that's deeply embedded within the police force there's a culture i've been i'm going to keep it anonymous but i've been told by police officers that hey this is our culture and a lot of times you go with the big wave the big blue wave like it may be wrong to one black man that he got screwed over but at least the whole police force didn't get all uprooted because I was the one who to to whistleblow the whole situation. And if I'm in a police force situation, I may be screwing over my fellow black man because I'm going with the blue instead of going with the black. So a lot of black people have a problem with that inherently racist in some places. Do you think it's possible though, in like five years, if enough people helped craft the message and inspired young men and women to lead their towns through service? Anything's possible. I never, I'm pretty sure Abraham Lincoln, when, you know, back in the day, probably didn't imagine a black president. He was just like, yo, let me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, I feel like anything is possible. I feel like a total uprooting of the negative police Culture is possible because everything has been possible in America. There's been a lot of things that have been shown possible. So I feel like more black faces in the police department is something I would love to see. So if it's a black community, I would love to see black cops because they would understand that community. Yeah, I know that when I served overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan, we had to learn the culture of the Afghan and Iraqi people before we even step foot in the country. So why aren't we doing that in America? Why, why aren't we saying, hey, black people have gone through A, B, and C. So when you police this black community, you will understand why that young black 20-year-old is a little nervous around you, or why he sounds like he's aggressive, or why he's being loud, or why the mother is crying. You will understand that. You'll be like, oh, I know why he is speaking up and being loud and why he's angry because he's been messed with every day of his life in a convenience store. Yeah. You know, stereotyped since he was a young kid when when he was a kindergarten, when he was in kindergarten learning about colors and people were saying what was pretty and what was ugly. Literally, racism is taught. They're saying, oh, the lighter colors are prettier and the darker colors aren't as pretty. You know, and then when they're picking out people you know, in kindergarten and elementary school, all this racism is taught. It's deeply rooted. I know when I was a kid, they were saying what was ugly and what was pretty. And a lot of times they were saying darker skin was ugly, which necessarily is not true at all. But it's ingrained in us to feel that way. Right. And so 
we have these emotions and feelings and this anger, and then we get approached by a police officer that says, do you know why I pulled you over? And then you give him an attitude, and then you end up getting shot. So all this needs to be put into consideration when it comes to police and knowing the culture of the black community. And when that's known, I feel like change can happen. Well said, man. All right, let's uh, take a look at one other side of the coin here. Let's talk about uh, relations inside some of the troubled cities in our country. I've traveled enough to know that, you know, every city's got one. You know, you got Chicago, you've got the, you know, the ward outside Houston, you've got South Central in L.A., you've got the boroughs in New York that were afflicted by crime and all kinds of things. Going through, going through our entire American experience, you know, there have been those neighborhoods. And yeah. What, what has to change in those neighborhoods to equally address this systemic cycle of cops looking for trouble, cops finding trouble, and the next thing you know, there's trouble that ends in murder. Um, is there something to be said for the other half of this problem is looking in our own houses and cleaning up? I mean, do we need to have some other kind of messaging so that young kids don't grow up and think, slinging dope and being part of the local scene and running with the wrong crowd. I mean, is there something we can do to empower that? Yes, we can do something to empower the other side of the coin. I feel that we need more leaders in those neighborhoods, more strong people to stand up. Just how the police force needs to clean itself from the inside out. The black community needs to clean itself from the inside out because there are some detrimental areas in the black community that's also dragging us down as well. So I feel like those leaders in those neighborhoods need to stand up and say, hey, listen, we don't need to kill each other. We don't need to sell drugs to each other. We can do it this way. But the reason why there's crime, the reason why there's drugs, the reason why there's criminal activity, it's because those neighborhoods feel there's no other way because the way America is set up against the black man and the black community. So it's like a hard situation. It's kind of like, you know, you have areas like Black Wall Street where we started to have leaders and build up the community back in the day. And yet it was torched to the ground when we started to build our own community and started being successful. There's lots of situations to where black communities has flourished in the past, but yet it still was burnt down. A lot of situations that were set up, you know, the crime bill back in the or the, uh, a lot of situations about the uh, desegregation um, when we had to walk to school instead of being bussed with our white counterparts. There's been a lot of situations like that. So it's really discouraging to the black community when somebody outside of the black community says, hey, why don't you guys fix Chicago? Why don't you guys fix this or that? Well, listen, it's because the way America is set up. So fix America, then it's kind of like, okay, now there's other alternatives. Now there's other ways. Now, hey, listen, we need more leaders in the black community. We need people to stand up and say, we don't have to take this route. We don't need this way. And me, as a member of the black community, I'm always going to stand up for black rights regardless. But those other individuals need to be black leaders in their areas and be like, hey, Set down your guns. Let's be people who are going to build, not tear down. Right on. Would it be helpful if there were 
certain programs that allowed the black American community to take advantage of opportunities that seemed out of reach before, maybe free college, free trade school, free. I mean, is there something that could be offered to help them pivot and get, get a job and a trade and create generational wealth? I mean, is, is that, does that sound like something that maybe would help or could even be done? I don't feel a lot of free things help. I don't, I don't feel like a lot of free, that's just my opinion. I don't feel like a lot of free things would help the black community because we've had uh, some free things, but I don't think everything should be free because that doesn't really incentivize excellence. It's just, I'm going to get it anyway type of mentality, I feel. So I don't feel like free. I feel like programs can be set up to incentivize uh, black people to join the police force or, or into government and things like that to change things or to be a part of changing of legislation. I feel like things like that can happen. More education needs to happen. I feel like the history books need to include black history. A lot of the things that I've told a lot of my white counterparts as a black man, a lot of my white counterparts are like, oh, wow, I didn't know about black street. Oh, wow, I didn't know. I mean, I, I, black street, not the band. But yeah. <laughs> I didn't know about uh Because I know Wall about street. that, man. I know about yeah. black street, man. Let me tell you, you that. <laughs> I didn't know about black Wall Street. I didn't know about how you felt when a cop pulled you over. I didn't know about how you felt every time you walked into 7-Eleven. I did not know about the, the, the light racism you felt every time you walked outside the door, the time, any time a woman who didn't know who you were switched her purse to the other side. Things like that every day. Mm. Programs are nice, but I feel like everything needs to come with a price. Everything needs to be incentivized. Everything needs to have some type of type of motivation behind it. It shouldn't just be free. I feel like these programs can be out there, but I feel like education is key. Education is first. I feel like a lot of our history books have excluded a lot of black history, and that's wrong. The black history needs to be in there. The, the culture needs to be in there because at the end of the day, no one is the shooting that black people have contributed to American history. And when that happens, then we could talk about programs and incentivization and, and all of those other things. Wow. I mean, I'm so glad you're putting this into words because, again, these are the things I struggle to, to really answer. And I find it interesting to think that American textbooks should be including an entire section on, you know, black American society, uh, 1950 and beyond. And you're right. We probably don't see a lot of that. And it should include uh, the names of the men and women who have been murdered, the, the names of the injustices that have occurred. Uh, maybe if we start seeing that in the American education experience. Again, we could draw ourselves closer and the black community could feel a little bit validated that this stuff has gone on, it's been wrong, and now we're teaching the young ones about it. Uh, good stuff. And I'm also equally glad to hear you say that you didn't think it should be free because I hate to treat inequality with another form of inequality. You know, handing something yeah. out for free because, well, we were trying to fix it. You know, that whole theory that, you know, that's what you do to fix things. No, nah, you weren't about that. And um, it speaks volumes about you, man. Appreciate you. Oh, thank you. And I just want to be clear because how are we going to be that's, – that's, that, I, I, I just echo your point. How are we going to be equal if we are treating other people unequal? Yeah. I can't be like, oh, give all these free handouts and all these programs to black people, and then what is it going to do? Oh, white people are going to complain. <laughs> why can't I get this program? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why, why can't I get this free handout? 
and then it's just going to be a teeter-totter back and forth. I don't want that to happen. Yeah, what but- I want to happen is I want all Americans to be treated the same way, and I want black people to feel included in it, and then we'll, we will want to actually contribute. And as this is getting long, can I ask one more? Can I go one more direction with you? For sure. I'm, oh, no, yeah, for sure. All right. Um, another way we learn from each other is in our music, and we're going to get to yours in just a second, uh, saving the best for last. <laughs> but uh, as we talk about music, you and I riffed on this last week a little bit. Um, I know that when we continually hear the same narrative, whether it's in music or it's in, you know, uh, stories people are telling or just the general survival stories from the inner cities, you know, when those stories keep happening in art, it's because they keep happening in life. And I get that. But at any point is the imagery that is continually praised and romanticized about hoes and money and guns and this and that like should that ever should that ever stop should we just maybe look at the influence that's having on young ones coming up i mean and and i tell you this before you answer this is from sincere personal experience you know i grew up with the heavy metal of the 80s and the 90s and you know it was all about you know getting high and getting drunk and and get, and, get, and guess what i did <laughs> I, I went and got really high and really drunk and I love women but I didn't like church going women or nice girls you know who did I like because of the MTV music videos you know I like that hair teased and the leopard print skirts and way too much makeup I didn't make a lot of good life choices when I was chasing that okay Motley Crue was not a handbook for me to become a productive citizen it was a great, yeah. you know a great memory from a tawdry weekend but that's about all I had um is there a responsibility in our artistic community to try to give the young ones coming up something a little more for their head than just, you know, N words and B words and, and, and all that stuff? Or, or am I just trying to misplace blame? No, I, I feel as an artist, especially because I'm an artist, I feel like we have a responsibility to reflect reality of our different communities I feel like we have a responsibility to listen to the people and communicate for the people of our specific community. That's why me coming from the military and veteran community, I always speak from that perspective. However, I also feel that we have a responsibility to educate and teach and raise our children correctly and properly. So although I feel like party music and very promiscuous songs and violent songs will always be there. I feel like we have a responsibility to balance that out with some education. We have a responsibility to balance that out with some inspiration. We have a responsibility to balance that out with some motivation. So I feel like it's not necessarily that we need to kind of like attack people for expressing how they feel in their music by, you know, talking about their car, talking about women, talking about money, because that's always going to exist. And it's always exists from the beginning of time. You can even go back to early poetry in a lot of different civilizations and things like that. Back to like hieroglyphics, you see symbolism of, of jewels and, yeah, oh yeah, and yeah. things that they had and things like that. So they, they back in the day, like Egyptians were flossing. They were always talking about their girls and their, their 
<laughs> if you think about it, they, Egyptians were talking about that. You know, they were talking about all that type of stuff. You know, you look at the Greeks. You look at <laughs> you look at all of them. And back in Rome, they're just yeah. like, look at all the all the animals and the women and, and jewels and, and things I have. Oh like, yeah, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. I mean, those Greeks were freaky too. They had some really crazy stuff oh going down gosh. back in the day. Parties. And, uh, you know, you think about King Tut's tomb. I'm sure if he got a new ride, it was somewhere in those hieroglyphics. Like, you know, look oh at my, my chariot. God. My chariot is pimp. Look at that thing. It's shining. Look at all of it. I got concubines. Every, they were buried with all these things. So I don't feel like it ever will disappear. Right. And I don't think it should because I feel like you should enjoy yourself. You know, if, okay. you, if you have enough money to buy some jewels and things like that. However, I do feel like it should be balanced out with some conscious material. Can I ask a question I've never asked before? Yeah, go ahead. In the music community especially, just because, I mean, that's what I pay attention to. I love music. It's part of my life. I can't help but notice even some of my favorite songs have a word in a lyric occasionally that I just can't repeat. I can't bring myself to <laughs> say it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I love Juicy. I, I mean, Biggie, that's my jam. It's all good. Oh. And if you don't know, and I don't know what to do with that. Is is that word something that we should maybe try to talk about as America and say, hey, wait a minute, everybody, maybe we need to drop this. We need to make it uncool to use. Yeah, I, I think I think that that word is kind of it's just such a it's just a such a like source spot um because it's like who can use it who can't use it uh when you use it you are racist and only black people use it and then white people say why are black people using it against themselves if it was rooted in racism so just like the word i i tell people today um even the word colored colored used to be a word those used to yeah. be words that they used all the time and those were acceptable they're not acceptable today by any means right they just sound wrong. They sound outdated. And I feel like all, some, all words sometimes um, may be outdated. And that word, I hope, I hope that, that N-word gets outdated because I don't think it's the cool word. I don't think it's the number one top priority on our list of changing racism. I feel like that word is probably going to be one of the last things on the list. Okay. The first one is like, like I, how I, how I broke it down in the four step thing. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but I, I just don't feel like that word is priority. I, I don't feel like that word is productive. I don't, I, I don't think that word's productive, but I don't think that word is a priority in solving racism. I don't like that. That word has so much ambiguity to it because now with a lot of the music, a lot of white kids feel like it's okay to say because they're like, if it wasn't okay to say, then why would a, a black artist put it in their music? Yeah. And so we have a lot of white kids today using that word. And a lot of the newer generation, by the way, I, I know a lot of the newer generation and, you know, with my daughter um, coming up to a lot of the newer generation, they don't see it as a racist thing. They see it as like bro or dude. Like they really do. They mm. They're way different than us. They don't look at it as racist. They look at it as like literally that's my homie. And whether they're white, Mexican, or black, they use the N-word, the younger kids. 
So it's kind of it's kind of crazy how they're grabbing it and turning it into a term of endearment, regardless of their race. So I feel like it'll fizzle out um, in terms of the racist connotation that it's connected to. Okay. But I don't feel like we should forget about the root. But I feel like the younger generation is going to take it, and they may think think that it's racist or not. But I mean, it's not really something that's a priority. I feel. Um, but my personal opinion is. I don't necessarily like anybody using the word because it just doesn't, it's not a good look. Very cool. Very cool. It is a good song. God, I love, man, Biggie. And see, he didn't make it, he didn't make it for, for you to feel a certain way. You just want him to know, rest his soul in heaven, man. I love you, dude. And Biggie, like, you know, his whole narrative was, I I just want to, you know, hang out and be with my friends and have a good time and floss and have a good car and wear Versace and Coogee and I want to look good and have a good time. Like, he, if you listen to his music, it is him trying to have a good time. It is. But he knows that in some pockets of America, people don't want him to because of his color of his skin. Isn't that sad? Like, mm. that's all he wanted. Um, so, I, I mean, like, if the word wasn't so deeply rooted in racism, the root word of that, I don't think anybody would have a problem with it because it would just be like dude or bro. Well, I <laughs> I do pray for the day that it is like dude or bro because I use dude yeah. and bro. I think I probably use – I think I've used them each in this interview probably twice already, bro. So uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Let's talk music. One last question now, and this is probably the – should have been the first damn thing we talked about, but it's your music. I gotta tell you, man, I listened to that song recently and you know, listening to some of the lyrics, I'm like, you wrote that thing years ago, and it is still in play today. Share with me first a line or two from that song that you think really has some serious connection to the stuff we're seeing these days. Wow, it, it, it would be a hard pick, man. I just honestly don't know. I just feel like uh, the line where I say I represent USA every day. I'm a black man that represents USA every day. And I feel the pain of America every single day. I want all of us to come together, but still in some places, every single day, I'm looked at as lesser than. So that's why when I say represent USA every day, that may be one of the most powerful lines because it's so painful coming out of a black man's mouth. And that's how, how I feel. I feel that way now. I feel like, hey, I'm standing up for injustice. And I'm standing up for changing the police force and I'm standing up for black people joining the police force and I'm, and I'm standing up for black people joining the military, but I'm also standing up for the black community and police injustice. So it sends out a message. They're like, so what side are you on? So I feel like I'm in the middle still. Black Marine 
and that's how, how I feel. I feel that way now. I feel like, hey, I'm standing up for injustice, and I'm standing up for changing the police force, and I'm standing up for black people joining the police force, and I'm, and I'm standing up for black people joining the military, but I'm also standing up for the black community and police injustice. So it sends out a message. They're like, so what side are you on? So I feel like I'm in the middle still to this day. Wow. Well, many a middle child has gone on to do great things, and uh, I do not doubt that uh, <laughs> you're still doing it, man. You're gonna you're gonna do great things. You are doing great things, and that's why I really really love the song from the you know from the minute we met, from the minute we started talking about your music. Uh, one of the many musical projects you got going on with Ninja Punch Music, and you're helping other veterans come up and uh, you know shine the light on their incredible gifts. But uh, more than anything this week, I'm just really glad that uh, we're able to talk so frankly about race, racial issues, what it's like to be a black American, man. And I can't thank you enough for opening up. Thank you. I appreciate that. And then um, I'm also working on a, I actually started a platform called The Military Musician, which is an all-encompassing platform and directory for everybody who is a military musician who are trying to make it in the music industry or trying to be showcased or trying to be found. And also I connect them with work with other companies. So military musician is a platform that I just started for all people, black, white, brown, whoever. Right on. And that's the, that's military musician. You can find it on what YouTube, the military musician.com. Awesome stuff, man. All right, buddy. Well, let's do this again real soon, man. Next time, let's, uh, in fact, next time, let's do a little thing on quarantine music. We've been making a lot of it. I know you musicians just sit around and like, oh, yeah. you know, you're not totally bored. You are, you are working on your craft when you're stuck inside. And I bet there's been a hell of a lot of good music made. So uh, let's, uh, yeah. let's talk that next time, bro. Yes, sir. We I actually dropped an album and then I dropped, I dropped a single this whole time. So, yeah, it's like what else to do, you know? Always appreciate your time, man. I look forward to talking to you again soon, buddy. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate you and I appreciate everybody. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.